In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. Good morning. It's so good to see all of you and to have you pray along our side. We are continuing on this journey to explore the epistle that St. Paul wrote to the Romans, and we have arrived at chapters 5 and 6 in the epistle. Even if you don't read or you did not read the emails or did not read the epistle itself, I'm hoping that through the sermon you will get some of the main concepts that when you have time to read it, I wish you will have time soon to do so, you will be able to understand some of the things that St. Paul is talking about. And in the chapter 5 and 6, mainly Paul is talking about what Christ did so that he saved us. And he's talking about very basic concepts about what happened with Adam, first Adam, and so what did second Adam, Christ, did to save us and what salvation means and how that applies to us. We have seen so far that faith is not an idea. Faith is faithfulness, is being faithful to God through our daily lives. And so it's rather than what I believe in as an idea, it's rather my commitment, my belief that I have to uh, give away my life to the Lord for every day and every minute of my life. So to understand what Christ did, the second Adam did to us, we have to look at what the first Adam did in the first place. And this is a very controversial idea because we as an Orthodox Church disagree with Western Christianity about what happened in the beginning. And that's one of the basic things that put us away from each other for the long history that we have been separated. So the first thing that Adam did was disobeying God for the order that he gave him. He gave him one commandment to not eat of a certain tree, and Adam did exactly the opposite. God told him very simply, if you eat of this tree, die, death you will die. This is literally how it is translated. Death you will die. So most of the people would think that God is the one who inflicted death on Adam because he's, he disobeyed him. Well, actually, death in this context was not a punishment. It was a result of what Adam did. So if you tell your child, do not touch the stove because you burn yourself, you'll burn yourself, you don't take credit for the burning that's going to happen, right? You're not the one who caused the burn. You just told your child that you're going to burn if you touch the stove because you know that this is going to happen. You, do not, you did not punish your child by burning their hand. They did it to themselves. So we don't take credit for the burn, and God does not take credit for the death because death was a result that was known to God to happen, and he told Adam about it. The reason for death is that Adam, through his disobedience, cut himself away from God, and as a result, he cut, away, he cut himself away from the source of life, who is God, and then the result was death. So we do not bear the guilt of what Adam did. This is a basic idea that we disagree with Western Christianity about. What Adam did, he received the result of his work, but we do not have any guilt of what he did. 
God is not after us to punish us for what Adam did. This is totally against our faith in our Orthodox Church. We do not bear anyone's guilt. We just take the, re the results and the consequences of what Adam did, which tells us something very important, that sin has repercussions for other people. It's not only affecting me who I'm sinning, but most probably in a way it's affecting the entire community, just like Adam did. So the, the, the repercussions of Adam's sin was death, and that's why we die. That's the, what we inherit from Adam, is the result of the, of the sin, not the sin itself. So that's why in the previous chapters, Paul talked about the Torah, the law, the Jewish law, was not intended to save the people. It was intended to prepare the people so that God can live with them and so that ultimately Christ can come. The Torah was to show them their shortcomings, and through that they may repent and come back to God. So the law in the Old Testament was meant to manage sin more than anything else until Christ comes and then he will restore the broken communion. That's what salvation is about, that Christ restores the broken communion between us and God that was because of Adam's disobedience. So the second Adam did this. First of all, he was leading by example. So he offered himself as a sacrifice, his entire self as a sacrifice, because this is what we hear in Psalm 50, is that true sacrifice is a broken heart which means it's my entire self is the true sacrifice that God is waiting for, not killed animals or anything else. And so Christ, by his sacrifice, abolished all other sacrifices because what matters is offering ourselves. And he did that out of deep love to us. He did not do that because he wanted to appease his father who was angry. He did that out of love, and this is what Paul is talking about. He made the initiative. When we were broken and miserable, he was willing to die for us. And he says there that no one have ever heard of someone dying for some broken person. If that person was a good person, probably someone will think about dying for them. But Christ did that when we were most miserable just because he loved us so much. So he's not after us, he is there for us. And how does that apply to us? Paul emphasizes that the way we are integrated into the sacrifice of Christ is through our baptism. We share in his sacrifice through our baptism because we are baptized into his death. This sentence is passing there in the epistle but also it is mentioned a couple times during the service of the baptism itself that we are baptized into his death. So when we immerse the baby into the water, the dunking that most people are afraid of, the point of it is that we're drowning the old man that is enslaved to sin and mortality and self-destruction so that the new man can come out of the baptismal font. And from that, from that minute on, we are dressed in Christ. 
So immersion in water is not just to take a bath, but it's, a, it's the point of offering ourselves in death so that we can be resurrected with Christ. So, and because of the other point, that only dead people do not make mistakes or sin, right? Have you ever heard of a dead person who makes any mistakes? No. So when we are dead to sin, we should not commit any sins. That's the point of the death in baptism. And from now on, baptism does not stop at the baptismal font. From now on, we are invited to offer our lives, as Christ did, and for the rest of our life. And every time we miss the point or miss the target, then we repent and come back. So baptism is not a witchcraft done by a wizard called a priest and uh, done once and for all and never show up to church afterwards. Baptism is about a start that happens today. For most of us, it happened when we were children. But it's a, a thing that happens every day in our life if we take our faith and baptism seriously. It's the beginning of the commitment that starts when we are baptized, and we cannot claim to be Christians just because we are baptized in the church. It's a daily struggle that continues for the rest of our lives. I don't think any one of you have experienced a couple who came to church to be married, and then when they're done with the ceremony, every one of them went to their home, right? Because marriage happens when they move in together and they live and struggle together. So it's not something that happens because there's magic that happens in the church. It's actually the magic happens every day when they are married. And so in every relationship, there are struggles that are expected, challenges that happen. To live our Christianity is not something easy. Sometimes we miss the point and we have to repent. So we renew our baptism every day through repentance. Paul says in the beginning of chapter 5 something that's very interesting and contra contrary to our contemporary culture that makes everything easy. He says it very clearly. We glory in tribulation. We glory in tribulation. We are expected to have tribulations in our lives. Because knowing that tribulation brings perseverance, and perseverance brings character, and character brings hope, because we know that God has loved us and has poured out His love into our hearts. So challenges are not against Christianity. Actually, challenges are expected in Christianity. And that is what we are invited to live every day. I leave you with something very basic, and you have seen this icon all the time. This is the icon of resurrection. We call it the icon of resurrection, but actually it is the descent to Hades because Christ goes down to Hades and takes out Adam with him. One aspect of this icon is very interesting. The gesture with which Christ holds Adam's hand. You see this? He is not asking for permission. He wants Adam out. He snaps Adam out of the, of the tomb. He made the initiatives because he wants us out. And 
He made that initiative, and now it's our turn to respond to this. Are we willing to work with Him to get out of our slavery to sin and self-destruction and come to be with Him? I don't think everyone... Uh, you can see these, mainly the fetters, the chains that hold us down in Hades. This is not just Hades after our death. It's Hades that we live now with self-destruction, with the things that keeps us away from God, the source of our life. So I pray that as we renew our marriages and our relationships every day by caring for each other, we will always remember to renew our baptism by coming back to God because He is the only source of our life. Amen.